0: I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. It's been unseasonably warm, but we all know it's going to get cold. For people who are unhoused, the dip in temperature is life-threatening, and LGBTQ young people are more likely to experience homelessness or housing instability than their peers. They also experience anxiety, depression, and self-harm at a higher rate. So. What can be done to help? For the first time, the city has included the LGBTQ community in its homeless plan, and a local nonprofit recently relaunched its cold-weather shelter program. Later this hour, we'll talk with the LGBTQ young people about their experiences and meet some of the people who are working to help. But first, the COVID-19 pandemic has put a spotlight on the mental health of students. More and more schools are implementing social-emotional learning tools to help students. But resources are limited, and after the school shooting in Uvalde, Texas, Metro Police Chief John Drake announced an increased law enforcement presence at Metro schools. This has some advocates and juvenile justice workers concerned, because historically, students of color and families with disabilities have been more likely to face discipline and arrest, a problem that more police could make worse. Kelsey Beiler is the education reporter for the Nashville scene, and she wrote last week's cover story on the topic. Kelsey, welcome back.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. Love being here.
0: Thanks for being here. So why did you decide to take this story on?
1: Yes. so when the Uvalde shooting happened, of course, it was an absolute tragedy. Uh, Folks across the nation, and of course, here in Nashville as well, started having more conversations about what should school security look like and what shouldn't it look like, and... As a part of that conversation is uh, what is law enforcement's role in all of this? And as we were kind of talking about that, as I heard folks at the school board and then once Chief Drake made that announcement that they were going to increase the, the law enforcement presence around schools, it was folks expressing concerns. And so it's 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 not a new conversation, but, but amid all of this increased school security, folks have been talking about it, talking about the school to prison pipeline. And so I kind of wanted to maintain that conversation, really dive deep into it, and help people understand what it is and and all of the nuances around it.
0: With all this new school security, Metro Schools already have SROs, or School Resource Officers. Can you explain their role in schools?
1: Yeah, so school resource officers have been in middle and high schools for years. That's not new. And they're there, you know, talk to the school officials of the police department and they'll say they don't have any role in discipline. They're there to build relationships with students and you know, increased safety and security. And so you have that. And then the the law enforcement increase that we've been seeing at the start of this year, that's just kind of other police officers kind of being more present, more visible um, in and around elementary schools.
0: All right, so what are parents and school personnel, what are they saying about this increased presence?
1: It really depends on who you talk to. I mean, there's a wide array of of answers and opinions. And I mean, when you're talking to a parent about how to keep their child safe, you know, how are you gonna tell a parent what's right and what's wrong mm-hmm. to keep their child safe? And so, you know, some people like having officers in schools and, and a big point in this conversation is what's their role in elementary schools? Should we have them around these really young students? Um and the the district's answer to that has kind of been these safety ambassadors, which I'm happy to explain more about. But but yeah, you'll hear parents say we want officers in elementary schools. You'll hear some parents say, let's consider arming teachers. Hmm. And then you'll hear some parents saying, no, uh, I don't want any officers in schools. They're going to make that worse in other ways. And so there's just a wide, wide wide array of answers.
0: Go ahead and give us some clarification on these safety ambassadors.
1: Safety ambassadors uh, were newly announced kind of at the beginning of the school year. And they're kind of an answer to that concern that folks have about having armed police officers in elementary schools. Like, do we really need to have um, uniformed armed officers around small children? And so this is kind of... The city's answer to that, it's going to rely on folks who are not in uniform and who are not armed to kind of be there in the elementary schools as an enhanced security presence. I think they said they're going to lean on uh, retired police officers if they can hire them for it. Uh, but we don't see those in schools yet. The the director of schools, Adrian Battle, told me that they're going to be in as soon as possible, but no specific answer there.
0: You mentioned it before, but in your story, you write about the school-to-prison pipeline that disproportionately impacts students of color and disabled students. You know, for people who may be new to the term, can you really explain what this school-to-prison pipeline is?
1: Mm-hmm. The way that I think about it, and I've asked lots of people, and you're going to get a lot of different definitions. It kind of, um, it's a wide kind of definition, but But the way I think about it is the criminalization of childhood behavior that happens at school that might not have otherwise happened. Hmm. And as you said, it disproportionately affects certain students.
0: Okay. Now, what concerns do juvenile justice advocates have with this move of increased police presence in schools?
1: Yeah, it's just, again, you know, as some city leaders mentioned, they're not supposed to be in charge of disciplinary measures, However, does that happen all the time? I can't say. But, you you know, you see students, um, maybe you see like a fight in school or, or they're doing something that they shouldn't be doing. Uh, you know, I think they have concerns that officers could become involved in those disciplinary measures, if mm. that makes sense.
0: Were you able to learn, like, how many students have been arrested at schools by SROs and police over the past few years?
1: No, and that was one of the biggest uh, touch points of my reporting is that, information is not intentionally and specifically tracked by really any uh, organization, MNPS, MNPD, um, the juvenile justice system. They could find that information if they really wanted to, but it's not not something that they, like I said, specifically intentionally track.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. How'd you feel when you heard that answer?
1: I was shocked. And... There has been some work that's been done around this and in 2014 there was a committee uh, called Passage which stands for Positive and Safe Schools Advancing Greater Equity. It was fun it was like a project funded by the Anberg Institute at Brown University and Nashville was one of four cities um, LA, Chicago, and New York that got this grant to really start tracking these kinds of things and looking at them and examining them and and you know identifying inequities and and figuring out why they're there and how to prevent them and So we saw that work happening for a few years. However, I don't think anything, I mean, there were some things that came out of it, but as as someone mentioned in my story, it's kind of faded to the black again. And Mm. so we had those conversations happening in the past. They're not happening as much anymore.
0: You You know, these school resource officers, they have made local and national news for reckless behavior and the mistreatment of students. But on the flip side, some have been celebrated by the students in the schools they work with. You talked to a few in your story. What did you come to understand after talking with them?
1: Just like anything, anybody, any group, um, SROs are not a monolith. You know, you see, it's really easy to talk about how they are harmful to students. And we've absolutely seen instances of that. However, what I hadn't heard until I really looked into it as much as the ways in which they can be real pillars of the school community as well. You know, I've heard, I've seen a school that put a plaque of an officer on its school. I've, uh, mentioned in my article, there's like a 20 minute video you can find online of people talking about how much they like this one officer and, mm. um, and, you know, the officer Pi that I talked to from Pearl Cone High School, he talked about how he's really there to build community with students and, and support them in those ways. And so, again, like I said, you see all of these instances where SROs are not helpful to the students, but I think there are instances in which they, they are helpful as well.
0: Now, you spoke with Kathy Sinback, the executive director of the ACLU Tennessee. She said that, you know, everyone in the space knows how to make this better. What did she tell you that the kids need?
1: I mean, it's, it's a range of things. And as she mentioned, it starts long before they enter the school building. I mean, it starts at the cradle is what she said. And, I mean, really, they just need all the resources that anyone needs to, you know, be healthy and, and thrive both physically and uh, physiologically, right? So mm-hmm. you need... I mean, the baseline, proper nutrition, housing, um, that feeling of safety, and things of that nature. But then, you know, for students who are in, um, who do, who have experienced trauma, who have had adverse childhood experiences, just mental health supports, uh, a caring adult, all of those things kind of feed into how a child could act at school, which could feed into them potentially being suspended. And if that happens, you know where are they being suspended to where are they being sent back out to and then once a child is suspended they the likelihood of them coming into contact with the criminal justice system increases
0: this is like a little tricky though you know school safety paramount importance as is the mental health of our students so you know how can we look after the well-being of our students keep them safe and not use discriminatory practices like the prison to school to prison pipeline that affects some of these kids for life?
1: Great question. Huge <laughs> question, right? And that's why I think we, we're seeing kind of a, a gap in talking about what we need to do versus what's actually being done is because there's just so much and we're working on, you know, under, underfunding, right? So fully resourcing the the students that need it uh, and then providing them with the mental health support that they need in school. And, and, and MNPS is trying to do that with, Uh, restorative justice practices, peace centers, advocacy centers, things like these. But as is, you know, a common issue, there, there needs to be more. There needs to be more funding for it. There needs to be more counselors in schools. There needs to be more supports and resources for these students to rely on both inside and outside of schools.
0: I'm sure you're going to keep following and continue following this story. What are you keeping an eye out for?
1: I'd love to see if city leaders want to start being more intentional about how they track some of this data. And and I've heard folks say they'd love to see them track it and then make specific goals um, around it, you know, how to perhaps address inequities or, or things of that nature. So just seeing if this is something that if it's something that the city actually cares about and it's if it's something that city leaders say they care about, seeing if they're actually, you know, walking the walk and not just talking to talk.
0: Kelsey Byler is the education reporter for the Nashville scene. You can find the link to her cover story in today's episode post at thisisnashville.org. Kelsey, thanks for being here, and as always, thanks for your reporting. Thank you. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll learn what life is like for LGBTQ students and young adults who are unhoused. Are you an LGBTQ young person who is experiencing housing instability? What questions do you have? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Life on the streets can be dangerous for anyone, but unhoused LGBTQ teens and young adults often face additional challenges. They're not welcome at many shelters, and if they do find a place to stay, they often face stigma and mistreatment. Sometimes, the street can still feel like a better option than the shelter. So what is it like for young LGBTQ people? How do they get by when so few options feel safe, much less welcoming and affirming? My next guests know firsthand what it's like to wrestle with these questions night after night. Imani Miles and Andrea Mobley, thanks to you both for being here. Welcome to This Is Nashville. Andrea, I understand you currently have housing, but you first became unhoused. In 2015, what was it like to experience that as you were looking for a place to stay?
2: Um, It was pretty hard because I just came out of graduating high school. So thinking that I would have the help I needed and I didn't, even from family.
0: Any teachers, any counselors, no one?
2: uh, DCS was supposed to be there, and they weren't.
0: How did, in your mind, how did being LGB, uh, an LGBTQ person, how did that aff- affect your experience?
2: I guess it, exfe- it, ex- it affected it because I'm not originally from here. Hmm. I actually grew up in Clarksville and there's one shelter. So when I actually fully became homeless from that one, I had to move up here with a friend, and that didn't work out. But other than that, I guess I just had to go on a whim, and one day I had a mental breakdown, and it took a friend that was in a shelter to finally tell me about Launchpad.
0: Amanda, you were born and raised here, right? Yes, I was. I understand you're currently without housing. Yes, I am. Can you tell us how that happened?
3: So I basically got uh, kicked out when I was 18 years old, actually on my 18th birthday. Um, and I unfortunately didn't have a chance to finish high school, um, and I just had a really rocky just childhood educational life, all that stuff. Um, And so when I was 18, I ended up just trying my best to, like, find a place and and couch surf and and try and figure it out as much as I could, really. I um, hadn't really been homeless before, so it was really hard trying to figure out where exactly to go. Um, And I did end up at the women's shelter initially uh, at the rescue mission. Um, until they um, tore it down. And we um, integrated with the main shelter downtown with the men. Mm. Um, And I was there for a good four months, I would say. Um, And then eventually I got into coordinated housing. Um, After that, a lot of time I had been working a lot. I had like I had, uh, two full time shifts at the job I was working at at the time. I only got about three hours of sleep and I finally got housing. I stayed in there for about a year. Um, but the problem was that the income was based off of the the job that I had because I ended up quitting that job because three hours of sleep is just not mm-hmm. healthy. It's not no good uh, for anyone. No, not at all. And so... Um, I ended up quitting, but then the government, that's what they based my income off of. And so my apartment was too overpriced for me to stay in. Um, And after a year after my year lease was up, I became homeless again right back where I started when I turned 18. It's basically around the time when I turned 19, I was homeless. Um,
0: You know, Andrea, you mentioned having to come down to Nashville from Clarksville. What was it like trying to find a shelter here?
2: um it was pretty hectic cuz the only one i knew of was the women's mission and i didn't feel comfortable there because i was stolen from so mm. and it was like the last piece of my past that i had so i just said you know what
0: i'm good you mentioned you all got integrated in with the men's shelter mm-hmm. imani was that safe environment for you?
3: Not at all. Um, it was already not very safe at the Women and Children's Mission because there was a problem with people constantly stealing. There was a problem with drugs. A lot of people brought drugs um, onto the shelter near the children, and um, some of them were caught, but a lot of them weren't. And then when we integrated into the men's shelter, there will always be men congregating around the shelter, Uh, blocking you from walking in Um, I would come to the shelter from work at 2 a.m. in the morning and a lot of people would try to hustle me for my stuff and um, they don't really have security there there isn't security there so you kind of just have to figure out how to get in without being detected or, or just try to avoid people. Um, And there were about, I would say there were about 200 or so of us at the women and children's shelter. And then when we integrated, there became about 550 of
0: us, I believe. Mm. Do you feel like your identity as an LGBTQ person puts you in danger in any way?
3: One hundred percent. I peeped on the logo that there was a cross um, and just being from the South and, and knowing that sometimes when you see a cross that could be affiliated with um, hatred for um, people that are gay or on the LGBTQ plus spectrum. So during intake, they had a couple questions and um, a couple of them was the first one was basically, are you gay? Um and I said, no, I was like, no, I'm mm. because then the follow up question, I kind of I sensed it. The follow up mm. question was just like, do you like Jesus? Mm. Are you a Christian? Um, And I lied through my teeth. I was like, yeah, I geez, love that.
0: Do whatever you got to do. Yeah, to exactly. Have a place to sleep. Because
3: if not, if you answer those questions wrong, I have been in situations where you are put in separate housing, most likely housing that is lesser you already have lesser housing, right? So it's lesser than where you were before uh, or or from the other population. But then also I've been in situations where, and I mean, they still do this, um, where you have to mandatory, like, go because they have a chapel there. You have to go to chapel. It's mandatory if they find out that you are gay. Mm. So I just wanted to try to avoid that as best as I could.
0: Andrea, you're nodding your head as Imani is talking. Did you run into these similar tests, a test of your your religious faith, a test of your sexual preference?
2: Yes. Um, At the time, I didn't want to actually admit that I was bisexual. So technically, I lied, but I didn't. And um, when it came to the church, I grew up in the church. So I'm used to it. That's where I feel most peaceful. But then I start seeing what we call hypocrites. Mm -hmm. And they start getting mad because I'm a type of person, I'm gonna speak the truth. And I don't care if you have feelings about it or not. So that's basically what happened.
0: After you decided that the shelter was not a safe place for you, what'd you do next?
2: Uh, Like I said earlier, kind of had a mental breakdown, and I met a person that previously went to Launchpad, and she's like, oh, well, I'm leaving today, but here's a place, and they're for LGBTQ. And I was like, okay, I'll try it. Hmm. Well, I came out a week later, and I've never felt safer than Launchpad, to be honest.
0: If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil lake We're talking this hour about unhoused LGBTQ youth and young adults in our community. I'd like to introduce my next guest. Ami Sadler also has experience being unhoused. Ami, thanks for being with us today.
4: Absolutely. Thank you so much for the invitation.
0: How do what Andrea and Imani are expressing with their stories, how does that really resonate with you?
4: Um, I'm surprised I'm not crying yet because they are telling um, but it could be my story. Um, I was very lucky that um, at eight, at 18, I wasn't forced out. I left home to go to college. Um, that ended up being a difficult situation. Um, I, Get involved with um, a partner who abused me. Right. Um, and because it was a female partner, I didn't feel comfortable telling my mom. I didn't want to tell my family here. So I was in Memphis, um, just having a real bad situation and felt stuck because there wasn't anywhere for me to go there. Um, when I came home after everything that happened, um, my mom was not very receptive. Um, she let me stay home for a little while, but then it became an issue of, well, if you're not going to leave, um, if you're not going to be with someone better or different, um, her way of saying someone who was male, mm. that I just didn't need to be at home. And so I was forced into staying places I wasn't comfortable. Um, at the time, Launchpad didn't exist as it does now. Um, The women's shelter, I tried for one night and I was assaulted at the women's shelter. Um, At the time, I didn't have a child, so I wasn't eligible for some of the other shelters. Um, And so it was a lot of couch surfing um, and I was able to get stabilized. And then again, um, after I was older with a child, I became homeless again. Um, And it was, interesting because I was working from home, but I didn't have a home to work from. Um, And so I was in school at the time, and I would stay on campus um, in a study room to work. Um, I had some people at the school who knew my situation, so they would make it so I was safe to sleep in the parking lot overnight in my car Um, because there wasn't anywhere for me to go that I could, like, have my work equipment because things got stolen when you go to the shelter.
0: What did they do to ensure your safety while you slept?
4: Um, They... So the campus I was on had a security guard that was there overnight anyway, and it was just a conversation with him for him to know that I was there, um, let them know that I had the um, permission of administration to stay on campus. Mm -hmm. Um, I would have early access to the building to be able to go in and shower, um, because I was working a full-time job, Um, I was working from home, and I was also in school. So they wanted to make sure, since they didn't have housing for me, that at least I was safe with the options that I had.
0: How hard was that?
4: Oh, it was horrible. It was probably one of the worst experiences of my life. Um, and it felt very dehumanizing because I was on campus in in Brentwood, Williamson County. Mm -hmm. And so I have classmates who are mad because daddy bought them a Tesla instead of, you know, the Jeep they wanted. And I'm like, cool, I'm still sleeping in my car. Mm -hmm. And they're like, if you're homeless, I don't understand why homeless people just don't get a job. And I didn't feel comfortable to say, oh, well, I'm homeless and I have two jobs and that doesn't do enough. Um, And just the stigma of it, it was so embarrassing. And homeless felt like a terminal Like definition, right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't that I was temporarily unhoused. This is going to be my life forever. Um, And I was able to start working with some other organizations to find disability. um, And it didn't feel terminal anymore.
0: You know, you mentioned that, how you didn't really want to think of yourself as homeless because of that stigma that really that that's a pretty that's pretty deep to me because it just it that can totally affect your behaviors and how you think of yourself. Right? Oh, absolutely.
4: Um, if you if you don't see a light at the end of the tunnel, it's hard to keep digging towards the light. Right. If there's nothing but darkness, how do you seek something better? If everyone says this is who you are, this is all you'll ever be. How do you find that inner strength if you don't have anyone encouraging you? Which is one of the reasons why um, I joined the board of Launchpad, um, (laughs) because I I wanted to be able to be a person to say, this is not your end. Mm -hmm. This is not the end of your journey.
0: Now, Andrea, you said you found Launchpad. What made Launchpad different from these other shelters that are offered?
2: The fact that a lot of the people that work with them are part of LGBTQ+. Mm. So I didn't, I, I automatically didn't feel alone. And when I first started, they don't force the Christianity or anything. They will be like, you could talk about it, but some people don't deal with that, which I get. So I guess it's just they're more respectful.
0: I'm sorry. Sorry to interrupt. How how did it feel to have people with a similar experience who could, you know, close to how you identify, who can really relate to you, offer you help at that time?
2: This might sound cliche, but um, it felt it was a feeling where you don't have family, but it felt like it's a whole group of people that possibly be family Mm. and it ended up being true
0: Amani how are you getting along these days
3: Um, well it's really interesting because I became homeless last year during uh, COVID and Launchpad didn't exist for a minute Uh, and so I didn't really have the option at the time Um, but now being there being able to be there now Um, it's gotten a lot better because I'm not really, you know, like, again, forced to, uh, have to go to church, have to, you know, sit. Because the way that it was set up was just kind of like in order to get our, even our rooms, we had to sit for a sermon and then get our rooms at the end. And now it's very much open. It's free. I have about, um, to other people that we just kind of support each other and um, at Launchpad and um, try and keep each other safe as best as we can, um, and and it's really feels um, like a kind of a missing piece has been put back in place. Um, hmm. So yeah, it's really it's 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 interesting because it's like it's nice, but it. It's also something that we kind of all know isn't going to really last forever, especially because we are like the group that I hang around with now. We're from totally different places. Mm -hmm. I'm the only one that was from here and that knows my way around. And thankfully, I'm able to kind of be like, get on this bus, you know, we're going over here. Mm -hmm. Um, But a lot of the times, like especially because, you know, we, we do want different career paths. We do want we know that. Eventually, it's not. We're gonna stop seeing each other, and it's and and we just hope that um, we, you know, grow both together and separately, yeah. um, because we also don't really see enough of. Because people are very when you're homeless, um, and you do find community, there can be times where people are become they become kind of codependent on each other, and so. Um, It's really hard because we do see that and we're like, we know that's not healthy. We know that might not like help. So uh, being able to be with just a a small group of us um, and knowing and having that expectation of this is where we are now and this is a safe place now, but hopefully um, we are all working and growing to better ourselves and be in a better situation.
0: Andrea, what do you wish the city would do differently to help? provide housing and safety for young LGBTQ people who are without those things?
2: My first one is, we're just looking for housing. We're just like anybody else. So it's not okay to be judged just because we're a part of this community. It's like, you don't judge an elderly person that is trying to find a house. So why would you judge us? Um I just feel like if we give you all respect, we should be able to get that in return.
0: What are your hopes for the future?
2: My hopes for the future?
0: Yeah, your future.
2: Mm. Hmm. Mm. So I'm gonna rephrase that. My future? Yeah. My hopes for my future are, I wanna be a fashion designer. Mm-hmm. I already got approved for Belmont. Mm-hmm. So it's just time. Um, and then maybe one day start the shelter that me and my partner wanna do together. And it's specifically just like Launchpad. And then possibly, I also wanna own shelter for a dog, like Mm. a group of dogs that people wanna put down just because they're so-called angry or they're the domestic dogs. And maybe that might help people that are staying in the Human shelter, feel more comfortable.
0: The mm. uh, money.
3: Same questions. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> just to it sure. Um, <laughs> can you repeat the first one for me?
0: I'm gonna ask you the second one. Okay. What um, do you want for your future? What are your hopes for your future?
3: Stability. I I feel like a lot of the reason why I am where I am is because my foundation was. Wasn't built the right way, um, both in home life and school life, and in religion and all, um, all that other stuff. And so now I'm kind of left with n- n- no stability, um, and just being able to find that and find my footing and. Um, because I feel like as soon as I'm able to be stable and not have to worry about everything that's happening today, the next day, the day, after that, and just being able to be me and be myself and have that, um, would really just help my life overall, I feel like, no matter what path or future I might have,
0: I understand you make music, too, right?
3: I do. <laughs> i I'm a singer um, and a music producer. Um, and now I, um, I also try to teach
0: mm-hmm.
3: kids who um, are in the same situation as me um, or were in the same situation as me.
0: I know this. After spending 20 minutes with you, I'm going to keep my eyes and ears open.
3: <laughs> thank you. It's thank coming.
0: You. That is Imani Miles. She was joined by Andrea Mobley. I want to thank you both for coming on to the show and the best of luck. With Thank both of you. Thank you. Godspeed. Now, Amy Sadler and me Sadler, part of me is going to stick with us through the break. When we come back, we'll learn about the solutions that we have and the solutions we need for our LGBTQ youth. Join the discussion by tweeting us at this is Nashville. We'll be right back. Haleel E. and this is Nashville. We've been talking this hour about housing instability among LGBTQ youth and young adults. Before the break, we heard from a few people who found help through Launchpad, a Nashville organization that works specifically to, to specifically address housing needs for our LGBTQ community. My next guest is the executive director of Launchpad, H.G. Stovell, thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks for having us. And Ami Sadler is still with us. She is the vice president at Launchpad, and thanks again for being here.
4: Absolutely.
0: So, H.G., about a week ago on the first of November, Launchpad they opened the cold weather shelter program after two and a half years. What has opening been like?
5: Uh, it's been an adventure. Um, I sent a, a note to our team. Uh, that morning that said that we had two standards for the next two weeks, imperfection and grace, Mm. because we had not done this for two and a half years. Uh, And this team has never done exactly this. We went through uh, waves of innovation and growth uh, during the earlier days and months of COVID uh, that moved us into hotels and then eventually into an apartment um, that had better social outcomes in the apartment than a hotel. Mm -hmm. Um, But what we knew was there were more people than we could house in a couple of apartments, more than 12 unhoused young people in the city of Nashville.
0: Can you explain the program to us? How does it work?
5: Yeah. Um, If you're familiar with Room in the Inn, we are similar by using churches, by using volunteers, by welcoming people overnight uh, to keep them warm, showered, fed, clean, And loved. Mm -hmm. The difference is it doesn't matter who you are. You get to use the bathroom you think you belong in or in most of our church sites, a bathroom that says, whatever, just wash your hands. Mm -hmm. Because who you are matters and you getting to be your authentic self is the story of Launchpad.
0: How do the young people you serve and work with, how do they respond to being affirmed so lovingly?
5: It's it's beautiful um as I was serving dinner uh, on the night of November 1st the 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 smiles as I was scooping chicken pot pie out of um out of a pan uh onto plates mm-hmm. uh the gratefulness uh it's it's amazing um just just a warm smile I think sometimes can make all the difference
0: Now we we heard the experience of homelessness can be very different for LGBTQ folks can you walk us through some of those numbers
5: Yeah um LGBT young adults are one hundred and twenty percent more likely to experience homelessness than their straight counterparts uh, is a typical number. Mm. A second number from our friends at the Alley Fournay Center in New York City is that LGBT young adults uh, represent thirty to forty percent of the unhoused population, whereas they represent only seven percent of the total population. So that is a huge, huge spike.
0: Now, Ami, you're the vice president at the Nashville Nashville Launchpad. What are some of the challenges? What are some of the other challenges, let me ask, that people are facing?
4: There's so many. Um, Part of it is if you don't have an address, you normally can't get identification. Mm -hmm. You can't get a job. Um, if you get a job, sometimes they look down on you because you don't have the right clothes on. And so it becomes this perpetual cycle. And no matter how much you want things to be better, you have your homeless status working against you. You have your sexual identity working against you. If you are trans identified, you have your gender identity working against you. Um, and then, of course, just the stigma of being who you are um, homeless, unhoused, whatever. Um, It's hard to, again, keep going, to keep trying. You go to interview after interview, you're told, no, you're not good enough for this, or no, we need someone who has this, and you're like, I can't have those things. Mm -hmm. Um, And so with Launchpad, at least for those 12 hours, you're safe. Mm -hmm. You're loved, you're cared for. There are people there who want to do what they can to help you in that moment. Um, And that just doesn't exist anywhere else. That's one of the reasons why Launchpad is just so important is because there's nowhere else you can do this, especially for the age range of the youth we work with.
0: And they're so young. That's important.
4: Yep. It's, you know, if you're under 18... There are normally other options you have. If Worst case, you might end up in state's custody. Um, and even for a lot of people, that's better than where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. If you're older, there's this assumption that, you know, you can figure it out. But in those 18 to 24, like that that block of time, if, especially if you haven't had parental support, there are lots of things you just don't know. Um, HG is phenomenal, and I'll, I'll call him my adultier adult uh-huh. because there was a lot of things that I missed in that age range, because I just didn't have anyone to teach me. Mm-hmm. And so here I am at the big age of 36 calling HG, like, how do I do this adult thing? Um, and with the work that we do with Launchpad and the youth that we have, they can ask us those questions mm-hmm. and they could end up being a resource for someone else. And it's just so important.
0: Now, I understand it's it's got to be particularly difficult to be unhoused as a trans person.
4: Absolutely. Um, you're It's the issue of safety more so than just about anything else. Because if you are assigned male at birth and your affirmed gender is female and they put you in the men's shelter because a lot of the shelters go by what you're assigned at birth, Mm -hmm. you are a sitting duck. Being a trans-identified woman and especially being a trans-identified woman of color, Mm -hmm. you are more likely to be harmed by just existing in the space. And then you're put into this situation with... Men who are also unhoused but don't respect you for who you are. Um, there's the stigma of being a someone so assigned male at birth but female identified in a women's shelter because the women who are currently there don't feel comfortable or feel threatened. And only thing people want to do is sleep, yeah, and be safe and be able to take a shower. But like you're caught in between, you can be here and be considered to be dangerous, or you can be here and be in danger yourself. Like, what what do you do? What options are there?
0: If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Ekalona. We're talking this hour about LGBTQ young people who experience homelessness with H.G. Stovall and Ami Sadler of Launchpad. Now, H.G., Launchpad is working hard to help, but you really can not do it all yourselves. What are some of the gaps in the services available for unhoused LGBTQ youth?
5: That's a great question. Um, The number one thing that I I wish we had, uh, and we believe we're on the cusp of this, is a year-round shelter that provides care beyond the cold months, beyond the times when the leaves are on the ground. Mm -hmm. Um, Because uh, a thing that I say when I know someone's ready to hear it is it doesn't have to be cold for you to be raped or robbed on the street. Mm
0: -hmm.
5: And so um, a permanent solution is what we need, and that is a dream for Launchpad uh, as time goes on.
0: I mean, potential permanent solution would be help from the city, and for the first time, they included LGBTQ people in their homelessness report. Is that just a nice symbolic move, or is it really going to make a difference?
5: I think it's going to make a difference. An interesting thing happened when I walked into the first meeting um, as interim executive director of the Shelter Committee for the city. I said, Hi, my name's HG. I'm the new interim executive director, and I used to work for the United Methodist Church. And I knew immediately that my understanding of faith relations was going to be helpful in a city that is so clearly sitting in the buckle of the Bible Belt. Mm-hmm. We have been so well received um, in that space, and the support from that team has been overwhelming and wonderful. And it gives me hope.
0: What would you like to see the city do to step up their efforts?
5: I would have liked to have seen a larger uh, budget line in this last piece. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm also not one to um, bash incremental progress. Uh, I know that uh, the plight of the young people that we're serving isn't always understood. And that's why I began to tell stories One of the stories I've been telling is that I worked at the corporate office of Cracker Barrel in 2005. Okay. All the way out in Lebanon, Tennessee. Okay. We had a non-discrimination policy. Cool. But that did not stop the women who worked in the cubicles around me who drove in from the hills around Lebanon to the big city from asking questions. What'd you do this weekend? I heard there was a pride festival. What'd you do this weekend? Did you go antiquing? I bet your house is really well decorated.
0: That's what was happening. And that is
5: the difference. Yeah. That's the difference between a policy and a community. Mm. And we have a long way to go of telling this story. And telling the story in cooperation and telling it lovingly and not bashing our friends, but helping them understand. Are there educational
0: efforts in school? Because it it feels to me not only—what I've been seeing in society is a lot of folks are really pushing to educate children to be more open-minded. There's a lot more adults in the United States than there are kids. I have faith in the kids. The adults, it's a little dicey.
5: Well, I have to say my concern is the effect of the adults who are legislators on the kids who are in our schools these days. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Um, Well, that's that's tomorrow. Yeah. A whole separate conversation. (laughs) Now, we were talking about budget lines with the city. You know, are there other wraparound services that are exist here in Nashville to help LGBTQ youth?
5: There are. Um, Launchpad would not be where it is today without the love and support of the Oasis Center, who provides case management services and occasional spare cell phone and bus pass and daytime meals and showers to our young people Mm -hmm. um, up to age 24. Uh, That is beyond our resources currently uh, at Launchpad. It's a dream. Uh, The way I became connected to Launchpad is I shared a dream in a mission innovation workshop uh, of one place to come for everything. Emergency housing, transitional housing, supported housing beyond that, access to health care, access to mental health care and dental care, change of records, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I approached Launchpad and said, you have to grow. And they said, we can't. And I said, can I help? Mm-hmm. And it's been one of the best three years of my life.
0: Now, mean, what are the best approaches when it comes to helping LGBTQ young people who find themselves in unstable housing situations?
4: The first thing is just to Listen. Um, I run into so many people who want to be a savior without actually listening to what someone actually needs, because sometimes they don't feel safe. They don't feel comfortable going somewhere. So maybe they just need a sleeping bag. Maybe they just need money. So letting people be the expert of their own experience is the first thing. Familiarize yourself with what resources are available. Yes, Launchpad is here for cold weather, but like she said, what happens in June when something happens Mm -hmm. when you need support then? So just be as familiar as you can with what resources are available. Um, I keep normally water, blankets, stuff like that in the back of my car. So if I run into somebody, I'm like, hey, would this be helpful for you? Um, And the other thing is just to give people space for grace and Mm -hmm. growth. Understanding that it's hard to say you need help. It's hard to accept the help. And so if you run into the same person a couple of times and they don't do exactly what you think they should, don't stop. Mm -hmm. Don't give up. Keep offering assistance as much as you can. Um, Because if you've been kicked out of your house, your parents, who are supposed to love you regardless, have turned their back on you. The teachers, your counselors aren't helpful or even if they want to be, they can't be because of other things. Yes, it's going to be hard to be like, yes, I accept your help because who do you trust? How do you learn how to trust someone? Mm-hmm. So giving people's time and space to just be accepting and to keep trying. Don't give up because someone looked at you the wrong way or because you don't understand.
0: Now, you all at Launchpad, you run, you work with a good amount of volunteers, right? Absolutely. What, are, what have some of their experiences been? What have they come up to talk to you, both of you? I'd like to hear from both of you on this. What have they said to both of you after working with some of the youth? I, one
4: person in particular will just forever say in my mind, um, and she said, I never knew this was available and I get to be a part of it. I get to be the the, the turning point in someone's story. And I never thought I would have that. And so it's not just impactful for the youth that we serve. It's impactful for us who have the opportunity to serve. Um, I on, Part of being on the board is the opportunity to volunteer. And it, it gives me so much joy to walk away and say, this person might not have to have the same experience I did because I'm able to intercede. Mm-hmm. So just having that opportunity to give back um, is life-changing for everyone.
5: HG? I think the the recurring theme is how much fun it is um, to see the smiles, to see hear the laughter, to, to get the relief that these young people have a chance to be happy, even if it's only for the night. Mm-hmm and and to make an impact in as little as an hour and a half or a load of laundry.
0: When our producer was putting together this show, he was calling people for resources and references of people to have, and everybody kept saying, have you heard of Launchpad? Have you heard of Launchpad? Have you gone to Launchpad? It it's kind of seems like you're the game, the only game in town, when it comes to homelessness and LGBTQ people. You can't do it all, as we were talking about before. What else does our city need?
5: Well, that's a great question. Um, and and Launchpad is the only game in town, in a way. Um, and what we know is to know us is to love us. Mm-hmm. But people like you are helping us tell the story so people know about us.
0: Where can people go? Anybody who's hearing about it right now and they're falling in love and they want to help, where can they go to become a volunteer yeah. at Launchpad?
5: NashvilleLaunchpad.com on the volunteer tab.
0: All right. You heard the man. I want to thank you both so much for joining us. H.G. Stovall is Executive Director at Launchpad, and Ami Sadler serves as Vice President of Launchpad's Board of Directors. Thanks to both of you for being with us, and thanks for what you're doing for the community.
4: Absolutely. Thank you.
0: We want to thank everyone who tuned in this hour. Tomorrow, we'll learn about a program here in Nashville that provides addiction treatment for pregnant people. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Rose Gilbert, and Magnolia McKay. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos-Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tuthope. Shout out to our intern, Tori Hoover, and the masterminds behind our theme music, Laurent Gendermier-Blade. Special thanks to Rosemary Brunton. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil A. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody, and be good to each other.